Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 9, International Space Station Number 2, Research. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So if you're new to the podcast, this is the one where we bring on experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, and they tell you everything you need to know, all the coolest parts about NASA. So today we're talking about space station science with Tara Rutley. She's the associate program scientist for the space station here at the NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. And we had a great discussion about what kinds of research we're doing aboard the orbiting complex right now, what we're learning, and, and why it's important. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Dr. Tara Rutley. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch the mid-flight search for the red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Well, thank you for coming on and, and taking the time to come on the podcast. I'm excited about this topic because, you know, you think about the International Space Station, giant football field-sized spaceship, huge solar arrays, but you know, like that's cool, but but what are they doing inside, right? So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, and you're the perfect person to do that as the Associate Program Scientist for the International Space Station Program. So welcome, welcome. Uh, first thing I want to say, you know, especially in your position, we do science, you know, uh, if someone were to ask you, what do you do? What do you do up in the, in the space station? You would say, we do science. We do scientific research, correct? Is that, am I fair in saying that? Yes, and then they say, why? Why? Don't we have enough laboratories on Earth? And then I say, you know, it's this huge orbiting laboratory. Think of every experiment you've ever done in school. Okay. And, you know, you can control temperature and lighting and, and all these different things. But the one thing you can't control is that you always have that gravity vector there. So now Stupid imagine gravity. any experiments you've ever done. I know. It's such a force to be reckoned with. Any experiment you've ever done on Earth. What would happen if you could take gravity away from that? And what would you learn? And then the light bulbs start to go off and they go, oh, okay. And then the next question is, what we'll talk about for the rest of this uh, podcast is yeah, yeah. why. Well, what do you get out of it? You know? Yeah, so. no, that's perfect. I mean, if you can, there's always this. Um, when you th talk about scientific research, you have certain things that you just have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. gravity, I think, would be one of those things. It's something you can't. It, it, it's a it's a fixed. Well, I, I'm sorry, I, I haven't taken a science class in a long time. <laughs> no. But is it is it a fixed something? And then it, versus a variable, it and, is a fixed. It's an independent variable. It's a independent, fixed. Okay, yeah. all right. It's something that. Um, well, and it's something that. Well, it's something you can't change. So you yeah. can change temperature, pressure, um, lighting, That's humidity, what I mean. heat, you know, all those things. But yeah, gravity is, you know, 9.81 meters per second squared, bringing you back a little bit. All right, it's coming back. And we've all, this whole planet, everything on it, every living system, every physical system has evolved around that, that gravity vector. So it's what we're used to, it's what we can predict our theories around, and it's what we can that's how we know what's going to happen next. But so when you go up and you try all these different science experiments in the microgravity environment, mm -hmm. yeah, it's not always predictable. And that's mm -hmm. what we want to use that environment of the space station for. It's like, what happens next if we send this up? And then, as human beings, we want to find out, well, how do we take that information and leverage it to our benefits, either on Earth or, or help us go explore further? Yeah. No, that's a perfect overview. <laughs> that's a, great. That's tell awesome. I'm a station hugger. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. You're, I mean, you're in the perfect position, if you, especially if you're there. But uh, so what's something, I mean, just as a general example,
people before we start to get going. Mm-hmm. What's something that you're like, hey, I wonder what would happen uh, to this if we brought it up to my, what's like one of the cooler things that you can think of? What would happen to blank? You know, I'm gonna, I don't know, I don't have a personal, my head runs through like all kinds of scenarios. So yeah. I've not been able to, to satisfy myself personally with what, <laughs> what would happen within a particular experiment. But the one I get asked the most is about development. Hmm. Development of, you know, next generation of a particular living organism. And oh, so- living things, okay. Yeah, like reproducing in space. And what happens with the offspring and do they turn out funky or normal or anything like that? Ooh. So, I mean, we're not quite there, although there have been a couple of what we call model organisms that, um, you know, fruit flies, for example, we can mm-hmm. send up and, and, and have reproduction and then look at their offspring and look at anything different that might be occurring. Yeah. Um, and so fundamentally, I think I get asked that the most because it's something we can all relate to. Um, you know, all, it's kind of weird in itself, but it's also yeah. like explains a little bit about who we are as, as living organisms in this environment. It's so cool that we have the, a place to do that too. You know, you have that yeah. question, like what what would happen to if, you know, if we were to have living things reproduce in space? Yeah. Oh, that's right, we have a laboratory well, where right. we can test, yeah. that's really cool. And it's, uh, it's I have to say, um, you know, I've been, I've been a space geek my whole life and mm-hmm. I've watched all the shuttle experiment missions and and the development of ISS and being a scientist as I am I have to say that now is the golden age for space research. All more right. than ever before, and probably more than we'll ever see again, now's the time. Well, so, we got a gigantic laboratory to do exactly. it, so I can see why it's the golden age. Yeah, so <laughs> by the way, for anybody who's listening who's a researcher yeah. or a student, and you have an idea for, for something that you think you could do in space, That's we're op- we want that right now. We're out there trying to get the best to use this platform. Ooh, okay. Yeah, All right, we'll have to, stuff. at the very end of the podcast, we do like, uh, we pitch like where they can go for more information. Good, so I'll, I'll be ma- happy to give I'll it I'll make to a you. note to say where they can go. <laughs> Researchers. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, one of the f- experiments that I always think about is, well, not necessarily experiments, but like, what, what would you want to send up to space that would look cool? And I, like, the pictures of water up there. Oh, they are yeah. just so cool. Like, you know, you think water splashing, maybe sticking to stuff, falling, waterfalls. Oh, I love that. But it doesn't it doesn't fall. It forms into like a ball. Yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah. So that's a great example. That's one yeah. of the most highly visible phenomena that always comes out of space station. And you always mm-hmm. seeing the astronauts play with it, mess around with it. But the really interesting thing about fluid behavior or water behavior mm-hmm. in space is that for decades we've been launching to, to space, but we've never had any models, software models, or models of fluid behavior that we, based on the microgravity environment that we could build predictions on. So Mm. for example, um, if we want, you know, fluid tends to hide, you know, crawl up cracks and crevices in microgravity. On Earth, it's gonna sit in your glass. You can stare at it and know it's going nowhere. That's Um, good, that's good. It's good, yeah. (laughs) That's how we work on Earth. But in space, that stuff gets everywhere. And you could potentially lose you know, important parts of it. You can, it's a precious resource, fluid up on, in space, whether it's a propellant or it's water. Right. And so, um, so we have never created the most efficient propellant tanks, for example, um, based on mm-hmm. in the behavior of water or, or propellant in space. So we've had, uh, really one of my favorite experiments was a very elegant, um, simple handheld experiment uh, developed by Mark Weislogel out at Portland State University. And mm-hmm. he's a phenomenon with fluid behavior. And um, and what we got from the, his experiments was a whole new set of open source code now, understanding how fluid behaves in space in different 
geometries of uh, containers. So a square, triangle, honeycomb, whatever. Uh. He's got all those models. And now if you, as a researcher or anyone interested in building a propellant tank or a fluid tank for space, have a CAD model, you can go stick your design into that software program and see how fluid's gonna behave in your system. And Whoa. yeah, and so for the first time ever, we have these models that we can design more efficient propellant tanks, more efficient water handling systems. That's going to help us explore. But now also, because we are getting a better handle on fluid behavior in space, uh, we're also able to apply it to ground watering of our agriculture. Oh, the cool. way that plants take up water in the soil, it's all the same. It's capillary flow. It's capillary action. The way that water moves through uh, a medium to get to its source. Mm -hmm. um, because we took gravity out, we could really focus on looking at capillary behavior. And now we can apply it to ground-based watering systems, we can apply it to uh, tiny little lab on chips, anything that uses fluid movement and you don't want to use a battery, you want to leverage gravity. I mean, all kinds of advancements are coming out of this simple, elegant um, series of research uh, that came out of uh, ISS. So it's really, really cool. That's amazing. So um, going back, those those CAD models, are, is that assuming your, your system is in a weightless environment or is that for any system? That's assuming that you're designing for a weightless environment. I see. Yeah. Okay, so cool. if you want to design for the next vehicle that, you know, that we launch to wherever, Mars or station or whatever, or if you're a student and you want to design an experiment for space station and it's gonna have fluid in it, you can take your model and stick it in there. Cool. Yeah, see how it behaves, it's great stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've seen some of those experiments too and they're really cool. I mean, it, it, it's something you wouldn't normally think about. You, you know, you put fuel in a rocket and then you launch it because the fuel's gonna go <laughs> no, to the bottom, right. but in, in a weightless environment, it's not. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna float around and all of a sudden you got, you got fuel coming out whenever it happens to yeah. smack that side, yeah. but you gotta figure out a, a path in the weightless environment yeah, to, to wicking, do that. Wicking, wicking, wicking. Wicking, yes. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, so another one before before we kind of go on the, the overall kind of research kind of thing is you know, when I see when I see fire in space, oh. those those fire experiments that they're doing, it's like a it's like a little spark, and then it just forms this this tiny like faint blue ball. Yeah. Uh, so so what, what what are we learning from from fire? So yeah, so another highly visual one, fire yeah. and water, yeah. and our basic needs. Well, those are the ones that the first ones that come to mind, yeah. at least for me. It's yeah. totally cool. Yeah. Um. So we do combustion studies in space because when you take that gravity vector away, you know, the way a flame burns, it's got lots of different layers, and mm. it puts off lots of different particles, so to speak. Um, and there are people who study that on Earth, like their whole lives, people are studying <laughs> flames, just like those who are studying bubbles. Um, because we here on Earth want to learn how to better detect fires, we want to be able to better put them out. Right. But also in space, we want to do the same for different reasons. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, how do flames behave in space? Well, we've been studying those for decades, in fact, way beyond, uh, before space station even. Mm -hmm. um, but now we have this huge facility dedicated within the laboratory for ongoing experiments. And so, um, you know, if you've seen the images, you said a, a little, uh, the way flames burn in tiny little balls, blue, tiny little bulbs, mm -hmm. um, you don't have that candle-like um, peak at the top. Right. Right, because in space, there's no convection. There's no, there's no, think about it, there's no density. There's no mass, there's mass, but there's not relative density. So uh. you can't have, on Earth, your hot air will rise in a flame. Right. And then the cold air will sink to the bottom and mm -hmm. then rise up again, right? But there's no sinking in space. Everything, <laughs> there's no relative density densities. So you don't have convection, that's what that is. Got so it. now in space, you don't have um, hot air rising and your, your flame burns in a little ball until it's extinguished. Now, a really interesting piece of that is 
Um, we have found in burning some of our um, fluid, our gasoline, so to speak, or our fluid uh, pro uh, propellants in space, um, is that we've seen extinguishing as normal. And then in some cases, we've seen all of a sudden a reignition event. Whoa. So you think the fire's out. <laughs> and then, boom, it's back again. Yeah. And that um, kind of made our researchers scratch their head and opened up a brand new path of research on ISS that we weren't anticipating. But this kind of phenomenon, as they've determined, is called a cold flame. Ah, yes. So you have the ignition event, which is a thermal heat flame. Uh, the secondary cold flame event is a chemical flame. It's it's really a result of recombining of the, of the elements in the atmosphere under those hmm. certain environmental conditions. And it's important to us to understand in space because, geez, you think you put the flame out, but what if your pressures and you, you've still got a little bit of mixing there? Right. Um, and is it is it invisible or is it a visible flame? It's a visible flame. Okay, yeah. it is. Okay. And, it, and it shows up as this pretty toroidal cloud, cloud um, different a different color and everything. So. Oh, okay. However, you got a good point. There are some cameras in that facility that we use to look at different levels of the flame and and what we can't see um, visually mm -hmm. as well and all those images go back down to the earth and the investigators there's plenty and plenty of data to look at for those <laughs> investigators so wow yeah it's That's really amazing. fun so i mean you th these are just a couple of them right so just we're, we're talking about the flame experiment and, and we talked briefly about a, 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 a life reproducing sort of sort of phenomenon but you know, there's there's a lot going on at, at any given day. How many experiments are going on on the space station? It's hard to say by day because some take longer yeah. than other. But we track them in a six month expedition period. Okay. And so there are at any one time over six months uh, worth of about 250 different investigations that wow. six crew members are doing on orbit. <laughs> and they represent hundreds of scientists on the ground, by the way. That's amazing. Yeah, so that always like gets me every time those numbers, like 300 to 800 scientists on the ground every six months are getting their science represented by those six crew members. Wow. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, for real. The, the, <laughs> on orbit. <laughs> so, so is it the astronauts that are working all these experiments or are some of them kind of running on their own? Both. Oh, so okay. um, best bet is if you're gonna create an, an experiment for station, if it's automated, all the better. And then right, if it's automated, you as the investigator could probably um, integrate your software into your computers and, and work with mission control to operate that. But Whoa. some of these things are so delicate, especially the living organisms that, yeah, right. they require crew time. And <laughs> yeah. so um, so we prioritize the science and um, make sure everybody's stuff gets done. Um, and then we log it all, we capture it all, and, and, and then we turn out metrics to say, oh, this much got done. It's you just know. good science, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just good science management too. Yes, that's right. Right, Yeah. you gotta, you gotta do that. Okay, so some of them do require astronaut time. And, and so it, I guess, is, is this, most of an astronaut's day is up in on the space station. They are just going from research experiment to research experiment. Is that yeah, what's happening? So it depends on the crew member, but okay. yeah, it's the crew is is scheduled. I think for eight hours of workday, um, and I think between all of um, all of the crew members on orbit, they'll represent anywhere from thirty five to forty hours. They'll get about thirty five to forty hours as the target done per week of science, but. Mm -hmm. We have been averaging, we have had weeks of 70 hours of science done Whoa. too. So it depends on um, the visiting vehicle frequency. Do we have new, do new science coming or cargo that's being delivered? Do we have crew change out with new crew members? Right. Yeah, that can Some people way. are coming up to speed. And um, do we have a, uh, an, um, an anomaly on orbit that they now need to go do an EVA? So oh, all right. of these things need to be factored so it varies. But anywhere, you know, our goal is about 40 hours a week, but we 
have repeatedly hit 70, at least 70 hours. That's amazing. Yeah. And, w- and what's cool coming up here, we're going to have a lot more U.S. crew members, a lot more time mm-hmm. to dedicate to some of these U.S. experiments. And that's, so are, are, is that going to skyrocket yeah. even beyond 70 maybe? Yeah, so we're looking, at, awesome. we're looking at at least, at least 80 hours. That's like two full-time people working full-time science in a week, right? Wow. That's at least. So <laughs> we're anxious to see what happens there. Yeah, for real. <laughs> okay, so, so we got a lot of crew time. We got a lot of experiments. Some are running autonomously. So... In, in general, you know, we kind of hinted at this, but the space station, one of the main benefits is that you can take away gravity as, as in one of your experiments and you can kind of mess with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what are, what are some of the other things that makes the International Space Station such a nice place. Um, the one that comes to mind is perspective, obviously. You got, you're got 250 oh, yeah. miles above the Earth, so you can look down, so you got some observational yep. things. But but what other kinds of things, you know, uh, um, is, is good about putting research up there? Yeah, so there's a few. Um, our Earth observation is a great example, but, okay. you know, then you get asked, well, what about the other satellites? Aren't there other lots of other satellites observing the Earth? Sure. Well, yeah, but Space Station is a big satellite with lots of data capability and a trajectory that's different than any other satellite that we would call um, synchronous or geosynchronous satellites. So oh, okay. station has a trajectory that can circle the Earth once every 90 minutes. And by the time it's through a complete um, rotation, I should say, uh, it covers about 90% of the Earth's surface. All so right. 90 to 95% it can take images. That's more than any one satellite can do on its own. Plus it's got human beings up there looking down and finding things happening that, you know, that satellites, you know, there's nothing like the human eye to yeah. see a flood or an oil spill or a volcanic eruption before right. anything else. So, and that's happened before, right? Yeah, yeah it has definitely. happened before. I heard a story of one of the crew members calling down, calling the yeah. USGS saying, uh, I'm seeing a volcanic eruption. And they're like, no, yeah. no. I, and I, they thought it was a hoax. My, I think it was, I think <laughs> it was Jeff Williams. Williams? Yeah. What? yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah okay, we and, heard the same story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then they, they were able to actually communicate all that. He's like, hey, I think there's, I think there's a volcano yeah. around today. Yeah. So. Because he took a picture of it. That's it cool. right. Mm-hmm. And you can get the message out for those disaster response networks much more quickly. Yeah. But also ISS is a huge platform for data. So hmm. um, if you've got uh, something like the alpha magnetic spectrometer that's looking for dark matter. Oh, yeah. You know. Love that one. The fact that it's, it's a data hog. Yeah. It's looking oh. for, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, absorbing tons and tons of cosmic rays and sending, I don't even know what gigatriga, I don't know, I don't, Probably bites a of data, yeah. gigatriga yeah. bites, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teased for that one. Well, uh, but down to awesome. earth and only ISS can handle that kind of data and power demand to keep something up there for so long to be oh. looking for those kind of cosmic behaviors. Wow. But also you can put put experiments in the outside of space station to expose them to atomic oxygen or the ultraviolet radiation or the intense thermal swings. Yeah. Um, we have put different types of materials out there before and get them home and look at the damage caused by the external environments. And for example, one of those was a paint that's now uh, been used on the Mars rover, Curiosity, who's up there. Mm. Um, pr- it's protecting its power, its critical power unit. Right. That was tested on station first. Oh, you put chosen. a bunch of paint outside yeah, and see which outside. ones did yeah. the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, very cool. And we can do that with spacesuit pieces and vehicle pieces. We've got yeah. stuff on um, paint on on the SpaceX launch vehicles that were tested on station. And we've actually flown microorganisms on the outside of space station too to see how they'll survive in little types of endospores, little, you know, 
know, living organisms that go into hibernation, then bring them home and find out what space did to them, you know? Whoa. So it's it's got that external platform unlike anything other. So so I'm guessing bring them home is also a pretty good mm-hmm. thing to do, right? Because yeah. you can you can play with something, but then you can also get it back down to earth. Is yeah. that is that a, is that a right. unique capability? Yeah, of so the ultimate ISS? goal for any researcher is to get your sample home, if you're right. a life scientist or a physical scientist. Um, and that is, um, that is enabled by the uh, SpaceX vehicles. SpaceX can return samples. Right, okay. Um, but there are also other ways to get your data. So if you're a technologist or, you know, visual, you know, if you just need images or video or zeros and ones just data. downlink it, right? Downlink it from yeah, station. Right. Um, and it, it's been, um, it, it, those are ways to do it too. Now there was a technology experiment called Opals, which um, was tested on station. I believe it may have just wrapped up. They, they, they've met their objectives, but they are looking at using laser um, optical technology to send the laser data down in the form of high-speed lasers to, yeah, right, to the awesome. ground. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and they used a couple of different um, ISS investigations as a way to pipeline that data and test it out. So high-speed uh, data transfer via lasers, you know, yeah. cool stuff. <laughs> it, all that's happening at the same time. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so, you know, there's there's a lot of these experiments in, in all different times, right? We're talking about uh, uh, observational research. We're talking about satellites. You, it's the benefit of, of covering covering the Earth. You know, what 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 are some of the categories of experiments uh, uh, that we're sending up there? Yeah, so I'll start with the first one, which is my favorite, which are all the human um, experiments that happen. Human. There's nothing okay. like the crew members on station, right? They're yeah. not robots. They are the human beings that will go and explore further. And so mm-hmm. we've known for decades there are lots of changes that happen throughout the entire system. Uh, because why? We're creatures of the gravity environment mm-hmm. forever. That's right. how we've evolved. So any any system in the human body that you could think of a, is has to adapt to the spaceflight environment. There's an effect. So we study okay. the the neurovestibular or the balance systems we because they change. Mm-hmm. Um, we study the bone. Um, there's since I was a kid. I mean, I've, we've all known there's been bone loss if you don't use your bones. Think about why we have bones. It's because we have to stand up against gravity and our right. muscles too. Yeah. If you don't use that in space, they're, the body's pretty efficient at getting rid of it. Yeah, so, your body needs to conserve energy, <laughs> yeah. and if it doesn't need bones, ah, we'll get just get of rid of that, put exactly. the energy somewhere else. So where do we get the energy? We, we keep tell our body we need energy through exercise. And oh, so okay. we do resistive exercise and cardiovascular training on orbit mm-hmm. to help mitigate that. And very interesting finding, we've been able to maintain bone mineral density now for the first time ever um, as a result of the work that we've been doing on station. That's amazing. Over the course of a six month, Over even the, yeah. in the case of Scott Kelly, a yeah. year long, he, yeah. right? Yeah, wasn't so, as bad as it could have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So kudos to us for that. Very cool. And um, you know, the immune system. So any anything in the human body, right? Um, other than the human body, there are changes in biology, the living systems that we, the fruit flies, for example, are model organisms that's, that are used in the laboratories. Mm-hmm. We can look at changes in their genetics as a result of space flight, what their babies would look like or how they would behave. Mm-hmm. We can send up tiny little worms that are called C. elegans and look at how they behave or even infect them in space with Whoa. a certain type of bacteria. To see how the immune see, system works yeah, or something? well, you can study their immune system, but you can also try to figure out what makes that bacteria aggressive. And, oh, and so be, study the why, why does it infect you in the first place? Wow. What is it? So we've actually found that microgravity has re- upregulated is what we call genes to make certain bacteria more yucky and make you sick. 
quicker. Huh. Um, so, you know, all kinds of, we send up rodents to look at uh, the behavior of some of the systems in mice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so any, any living system, the, um, the, bio, the, uh, the microbiology component of it is fascinating too. We sample the environment on a regular basis, the air, the water, the surface, to look at oh, in any the... new findings in bacteria that are fungi mm-hmm. that might be showing up that Within the environment. The li- yeah, within yeah. the habitable environment of the space station. Yeah. And especially since we see that our crew members have uh, evidence of a suppressed immune system, how does that, if anything wacky shows up, how is that going to affect their immune system? Yeah. So we're, the the interesting microbiota is, is really fascinating, um, those kind of studies. But we also do technological studies. So technology, we use space station as a platform to test what we want to use to for, uh, explore further. Mm-hmm. So for example, the big one right now is beam, right? The, oh, the yeah. big inflatable one that's up there right now. That's really cool. That's really expandable cool. technology, yeah. expandable modules. Yeah. I love that. It's and like, it's yeah. huge. Yeah, it is. And you can get them to be way bigger. That's the whole yeah. like, the value add of that, right? Is you can launch something with a similar weight, but just, just kind of pack it yeah. down and, and then inflate. expand it in space so you have way more volume. That's awesome. Yeah. You can make gigantic space habitats with that. That's really awesome. It's really, it's got great potential. So it's one yeah. of our technology uh, development initiatives, but it's also, we also test out new gas analyzers or air monitors up on, on, uh, on orbit hmm. or ways to better service satellites that end up out there dead and were never intended to be serviced but if we want to go to Mars for example maybe we want technology to service you know stations in between our Mars us and Mars oh right? yeah so you've got these little waypoints that give you extra fuel or extra food or something like space gas station slash convenience stores yeah Yeah. who knows (laughs) so we do some of those technology evaluations to to create new tools and processes that could possibly get us there too so technology but we also have a lot of education that happens very important yeah we've got students sending up their own experiments in different lots of different um opportunities on iss through nanoracks and and student organizations Mm -hmm. i mean high schools are going fundraising you know their own money to send their own experiments on iss it's that accessible wow yeah, Very and, cool. and we've had fifth graders do that too. There are a couple of formal programs. One's called um, the uh, Sally Ride uh, Earth Cam. Earth Cam, Earth right. Cam yeah, managed yeah, yeah. out of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Alabama, where if you're interested as just a regular student, you just go register um, with that program and you say, I want I want the space station to take an image of X marks the spot mm-hmm. and it will they will put you in queue, get that image and contact you when it's available. Wow. And, you know, ham radio, If for those of you who like you know, using the, the ham radio. <laughs> if you're a ham radio specialist, there are certain opportunities to, to call the space station crew members on a ham radio <laughs> and just to ask questions. Um, so, so that's all ongoing. And uh, some of the best experiments are student experiments because you, they ask the, we- the weird questions that, um, the what if questions, they're, right? They're still in that phase of early discovery. Right. Um, some of our, our established researchers have their own path to research and their own questions they want to ask that helps benefit the research they're doing uh, and which will ultimately get to us here on Earth too. So there's sure. lots of opportunity. And in fact, even the researchers who don't have a goal of education, there's always a student involved one way or another, whether it's undergraduates or graduate students crunching numbers or has a dissertation or a thesis or something associated with that. So we are always interacting with students. Wow. Um, so lots of education. Uh, the physical sciences, anything from flames to fluids to tiny little particles called you know, colloids in a suspension of fluids. Oh, okay. Um, complex 
uh, fluids or, or non-Newtonian fluids or um, solids, um, alloy behaviors. Can you melt two materials together and create something new? We've got capabilities for those kind of metals on space station too. We've got furnaces. Ooh. We can levitate materials too. What? Yeah, levitate <laughs> them on ISS. And, and basically you have containerless processing so you can process materials, metals, or, or solids without, without it ever touching a container. Doesn't have to touch anything. Yeah. Cool. So all the kinds of sci-fi wacky stuff you can imagine happening in microgravity, we're almost doing almost all of it. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing a lot of cool stuff. But. Well, 250, I mean, you got, there's, it's got to come from somewhere, right? So you yeah. got it from every different type of science. That's just, uh, it's amazing. Well, all the things that you can accomplish. And I'm excited to see what, what they're all going to do when, the, yeah. when all the four crew members are up there. And they're too. never bored. I'm oh, telling yeah. you, those guys are never bored. <laughs> and the interesting thing with the astronauts is too, they take personal ownership yeah. of getting this stuff implemented. Like they're trained on the research. Mm-hmm. They know they're the proxy scientists for the guys on the ground, the guys mm-hmm. and the gals on the ground. Yeah. And they are serious about getting it done. That's so, awesome. and then they lo- they take joy in the work they do too. And oftentimes we'll ask, can we do more of that? Can we do, you know, more of this, more of that? So, oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah, I think one of my favorites was when Kate Rubens did the DNA oh, sequencing, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. she has the science background and when she did, oh man, that was, it was just cool. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Kate too, when she came back, she is sharing all the knowledge with those of us on the ground who can uh, enable us to do even more of what she did. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, why didn't why didn't we think of this? Well, we did think we think we thought of this before, but Kate 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 comes back and she's like, no, no, seriously, you can do it like this. This is exactly how I did it. Well, and she did we it right do it in the future. She has the perspective. Yeah. She was the one running yeah, it. So, so unique. So yeah, it's a uh, it's such a, a resource we're excited about. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. I love it. DNA sequencing though. That's a, that's a cool one. That one's um. The, the purpose of that is just to make real-time decision-making, right? Yeah. So you can understand how genetics change over time, but but real-time. You're yeah. getting data. That's awesome. I mean, on Earth, it's just that whole – the whole DNA genetic sequencing, you can't even keep up because technology and processes are evolving so quickly. Um, if you've kept up with any of that stuff, the human genome and, and new findings in DNA and RNA and all the things in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, even since I've graduated, there's new stuff yeah. <laughs> and that I don't even know. But so NASA now is on the is on the cutting edge of keeping up with what's happening on Earth or at least watching. ISS is watching yeah. and trying to figure out what's important for researchers and trying to bring that to the laboratory to invite those researchers to now do this in a microgravity environment. So there's cool. interesting changes that can happen to your, your genetics throughout your lifetime that yeah. affect your genes inside of you as you live, and then you can pass on to your children. And they so- They change naturally, or they yeah, change they, because of it's influences? It's called epigenetics because okay. of influences. Oh, influences. External influences. Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Wow. Um, even the stress of an environment can change your some of your genetic outcomes and pass on to your children. Oh, no way. Yeah, okay, so, so I gotta remember to relax. Relax, relax, dude. Yeah. If you've got a future <laughs> with children, y'all need to relax. <laughs> Try to chill. Yeah. But you know, microgra- microgravity could be one of those. Hmm. and. Um, um, and what does that all mean? Well, I don't know. If you can do it real time in, in space on ISS and you can look at data from DNA real time, well, you'll know what it looked like yesterday. Now you'll know what it looked like today. 
Um, those are all tools that researchers are interested in for various lots of different reasons on Earth. But That's amazing. You know, also, what what happens with our crew members is we stay up longer and longer. We want to go to Mars. What happens to our genes? Yeah, you got to know all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different experiments going on, uh, and like we we talked about. But you know, how how is everyone getting them on the space station? I know there's an organization called Casis, right? Yes. They, they kind of help with that. Yeah, they kind of help. Okay. <laughs> no, they're they, the big help. They're yes. the big help. Okay. okay. Yeah. So certain parts of the, well, the United, I should say the United States assets on the space station are um, considered a, a national laboratory, a okay. United States national laboratory. That's a designation that maybe uh, 12 or 13 other laboratories in America are given. And that means they're special. There's something unique about them mm -hmm. that, that no, nobody else can offer. But it, it means also means that now we have one on in space and it's the National Laboratory on ISS, mm -hmm. and its unique resources are everything I just explained. Right. But also now it opens up access to non-NASA users. So uh. researchers from other government agencies, researchers from academia, researchers from commercial industry, students, you off the street who has a really great idea that's feasible, um, <laughs> it's open to all of you wow. to propose your research to uh, to get on the International Space Station now. It, the CASIS is the Center for the Advancement of Science in Space. That's Love acronyms. Their, yes, yeah. we have acronyms probably within <laughs> yeah. an acronym. But um, it's an organization, right? Yes, they're yeah. an organization yeah. that manages that National Laboratory component. Okay. So when you have a great idea, you go to www.iss-cases.org. Okay. And you find out th there's a flow. You get into the research into the research process, and you propose your ideas. And either cases has opportunities open, or you propose ideas. And um, and they're looking for all. I hate the cliche, best and the brightest, but it's true. <laughs> that's that's what we want. Like I yeah. said, this to be able to use this laboratory now is like more important than ever. Right. And a lot of people don't even know that they can do this. They think space is so inaccessible. And I know, yeah. I go around and I talk to researchers and the look <laughs> on our face is like, you're looking right now. You're like, what? So, it's so accessible. What do you mean? I can just, you know, come up with an idea. Well, how about this? I, how about we do a whole podcast episode on ISS research and tell them how great. to get there? That'd yeah, be cool. Yeah, we can invite some cases. All right, somebody too. write that down. Yeah, we gotta yeah, have, yeah, we, we got gotta this. Do this. We action do this to uh, us. <laughs> We've got an action. <laughs> great. Very cool. Okay, so, so they go through cases and cases mm -hmm. makes it easy for them to get it on the yeah. on the station they'll walk them through the whole process yeah, and then they yeah. can use the national lab for whatever idea they have that's the whole point that's awesome mm -hmm. so i mean when when you're talking about all these different research a lot of it and like you said you know a lot of them we want to go to mars so we got to figure out we got to prepare mm -hmm. you know what's the human body going to do on long duration space flights so can, for when we get there but you know what there's got to be some components that are coming back down to earth right so what we do and learn comes back down and we can we can put it into our everyday lives, right? Yeah, yeah, so one good example of that is that, you know, when we launch our crew members to ISS, not every single one of them is a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and so what if someone hurts themselves or gets sick on orbit? How how do we assess that from the ground? Well, we have an imaging capability on orbit, which is, which is the ultrasound, and that's really the only imaging capability we have. We don't have x-rays or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, now the goal is to use the ultrasound. Now you gotta train non-clinicians to, to use this clinical tool to yeah. assess right and send information down to the docs because they don't yeah because they because they can't assess on 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 orbit right um and so 
we've had an ultrasound that we sent to ISS. It was slightly modified with some software. It was We used it to train the crew members up before they launch, and our unique software and training um, programs were um, so widely um, recognized now by the Academy of, of Surgeons on the ground that it's being taught to up-and-coming surgeons. Like our training program and our software systems are being taught in to new clinicians and to use that on the ground. Because when you think in terms of telemedicine, um, you can can deploy these ultrasounds everywhere, and it, and it is being done that way. Um, more and more telemedicine's happening, right? As for our troops who are in a place where they can't get access to hospitals or to um, communities that don't have access to clinical facilities. So a doctor comes to them remotely. Telemed, yeah, yeah, remotely. So yeah. the idea is now you've got this ultrasound out there. You've okay. got someone who's been trained up on how to use it, even if they're not a doctor. Uh -huh. You've got people who can use it, mm -hmm. send the information back to the doctors wherever they are, mm -hmm. and the doctor can make a diagnosis. So those kinds of um, benefits we don't hear a lot about because they don't affect, ultrasound doesn't affect our everyday lives. Yeah. But they're also, as a, as because out of pure basic need, we've started looking at specific tissues on ISS that you would not normally use an ultrasound to look at. You would use something oh. like an X-ray or an MRI. But we have gotten need-driven and so... Um, so uniquely useful at <laughs> this ultrasound technique. It's yeah. now driving clinical decisions on when to use an ultrasound versus an MRI versus an X-ray and, and all these different components. So new techniques coming out of ultrasound. Yeah. So not necessarily in, in your house a benefit, but, no. but you know, your health. Your health, The doctor yeah. does a better job. Yeah, yeah maybe the cool. doctor can order an ultrasound instead of an MRI and yeah. get you some better results or different results or faster results, who knows? Very cool. Another benefit um, is that um, this, this uh, laboratory, this set of laboratory scientists have used space station, again, thinking about the fluid behavior in space, mm -hmm. um, to advance some of the treatment tools that they're gonna design for possibly treating um, certain diseases, including cancer. So this team sent up, um, they're trying to um, improve on what's called um, micro balloons or micro encapsulation. Ooh. So you take this tiny little ball that you've created and you put a bunch of chemicals in there, whether it's um, treating cancer chemicals or some good agent where you want it to go, you target it directly to the point, maybe it's a tumor, and you treat it that way, oh, um, okay. rather than maybe a systemic effect of chemotherapy. So these little micro balloons can be delivered anywhere in the body, do do pretty much whatever, whatever you tell them to do, but it's not perfect. We've never ever in the history of micro um, encapsulation been able to use it clinically. Uh, so this, because of different reasons, it's just not effective, it's not targeting right. I so see. this group sent a new machine to space station, tried to leverage the microgravity environment to create new microballoons based on different fluid behavior, and got a result that showed improvements in laboratory uh, tumors. Now this particular group is in the path of um, getting to FDA approval for use as a um, treatment for of cancer, but oh. we're not quite there yet, right? Okay. And so we're not saying station's going to solve cure cancer. Yeah. But some of the some of the techniques that have come out of space station are on the path to FDA approval, and we may see some of that coming out in the next several years or so. Well, very important step. Yeah, and those yeah. kinds of things take time too. Right. So that's another thing to remember. Um, we're seeing, you know, we're still seeing results from Apollo come in, right? Oh wow. And and when you talk about really critical results and benefits to those on Earth, um, any laboratory could take um, a while, depending on whether you've got FDA approval or whether it's a quick turnaround mm -hmm. um, type of investigation. 
some of them go quicker than others, um, and the life sciences are typically the longest because you, you it's so complicated. Yeah, yeah, but we life. Yeah, yeah, but we uh, in the meantime, um, if you go to www.nasa.gov, I think it's forward slash station benefits. Hmm. We have a whole page dedicated to these two examples plus tons of others that you can learn. What has station done for me, like in my daily life now? Cool. And everything from um, brain surgery robotically because it was designed based on the Canada arm that we use on the space station to uh, identification of lost boats, you know, ships on the ocean, thanks to some of the signals that space station was able to pick up. So there's lots of good stories there. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of, a lot of things being brought down to to earth to benefit us, Mm -hmm. like to, to, to benefit humankind. And that's a very, very important part of, of ISS, right? So that's what we like to say off the earth for the earth. Yeah, that's right. That's cool. Um, So, I mean, going away from earth to Towards Mars, you know, what are we learning? I know we're talking about the human body and and some other stuff, but what are we learning specifically on ISS that's really going to help us get to Mars? Boots on the ground. Yeah. So a couple of things. We've got technology development, um, miniaturized, most efficient systems for maintaining humans. Everything evolves around maintaining the humans, right? We are the ones going to Mars. So every system needs to cooperate with that. Um, And so keeping humans alive, how much food is a human need? Can we miniaturize it? Is it affected by radiation? Can we extend shelf life of that plus pharmaceuticals? Um, what about all the medical capabilities? How are they going to be trained? Um, let's see, radiation effects. Oh, how um, our genetics change? Um, behavior even of one that uh, that you sent me an example on, which was the Strata investigation. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was cool because yeah. I, I was like, what is that? But um, no, that's that's studying how dust behaves or regolith dust behaves in a right. microgravity environvironment well yeah right that's a good thing to know before you people go to are going to interact with it right so you'll you got to know what, yeah. it, what it does you'll land yeah. there and i hear um from stories about the moon it's pretty uh it's 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 a driver it is a major force to contend with mm-hmm. so um any system involving the humans any system involving air water recycling Planet, sh- you know, spaceship Earth. <laughs> That's what we're doing uh, on on the International Space Station, and in, in every different direction. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, it's cool. There's a there's it's, a, it's going it's going thinking about Mars. We're thinking about uh, other planets. You know, what we're learning. You know, the the regolith on the Moon obviously is a consideration. That's why we put it on ISS, brought, bring it back down to Earth. This research goes everywhere. Yeah. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so is there anything is there anything that we've investigated on the ISS that we didn't really know or some kind of story where, you know, it, there was something that was discovered through trying to discover el- something else or some, something new that has come up, you know? Yeah, I think um, the most one of the most intriguing things to me is the fact that as our crew members stay on orbit, their bodies start to exhibit lots of um, symptoms. I would I would call it symptoms, but um, <laughs> projections of, of what we see in, in our aging population on Earth. And they do it at a very accelerated rate. So oh, okay. um, there's a corollary between what we see in the human immune systems, the bone loss. The bone loss happens at a rate of, uh, if you if it's not treated, at a rate of a postmenopausal woman or even faster, uh, which is 1% to 2% per Just month Just from being loss. in space. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and the immune system starts to... Um, a lot of the changes in the tiny molecules of the immune system starts to represent the what we see in aging populations. Hmm. Um, there's also um, wound healing um, that it seems to be a little bit slower in space. So 
I keep going back to the human body because to me yeah. it's the most fascinating and everything we do is, be, is because we want to explore. So some of the most interesting findings are, come from that and especially the aging population. Now, when we figure out how to treat our astronauts or I, I wouldn't say treat, but mitigate some of the effects that we see with spaceflight, those have been able to be applied to the aging populations here on Earth. So hmm. for example, bone loss I mentioned, but it's because they're doing their resistive exercise. That's because they're taking their high doses of vitamin D and they're eating all their calories. Hmm. Well, before you're osteoporotic and you get to just that point, your doctor is already telling you, well, we think resistive exercise is a good idea and <laughs> calcium and vitamin D, but we've we can sh we can show on space station in a short time. You have the data. Yeah, yeah the data. And so uh, it, it's amazing to me how uh, the crew members are an accelerated model for everything that we are interested in, disease populations or aging, aging populations on Earth. Wow. And, and they're great because you know what their history is. So yeah. you, you, they're kind of a clean model to right. look at. Oh, wow. I mean, they're, they're, that's kind of, they. a lot of astronauts describe part of their job as being guinea pigs, yeah, right? So, because yeah. like you said, you know, human body is is one of the top research uh, investigations on the international space. You want to know what happens to the... Uh, to the human body over time in space when yeah. when it's in space for that long because you know this is it, it, we're in a time where this is this is a normal thing right yeah. we've had anyone born past the year 2000 right? right has never known a time when there hasn't been someone living in space yeah, my daughter's 10 she's like what do you mean what yes of course there are people living in space <laughs> there's always been people living isn't in space isn't it weird that it's like a normal thing now it's <laughs> yeah. just like oh yeah there's people in space and the thing is we're not we're going to be done sending robots you know not done but we're going to get past just sending robots to mars it's mm -hmm. the human experience Experience. So we're yeah. very complicated machines. Yeah. So, t so to you, what is the benefit of sending humans to to Mars? I think it's that personal judgment. Yeah. It's something that no amount of circuitry programming, at least in my mind, I'm not a science fiction reader. Or, but <laughs> so maybe someone can correct me. But there's nothing like discernment from a human being making mm -hmm. a judgment call. That could be hard. It could be a little bit easier. It could be tricky. Yeah. Um, human in the loop is the cliche that I hate to use, but it's true. There's nothing like people. Um, mm -hmm. We could take, you know, that's what happened when we landed on the moon, right? You know, you can take yeah. pictures of the moon all you want. Yeah. We actually had a couple missions around the moon. We had robotic missions that's land right. on the moon it's, before they even got right. there. No one cared. But once as a human actually set foot, we can, we can all of a sudden, we were part of the experience. Yes. We could all share. And so. coming back is a big part of it because yeah. those people come back and they share their unique experiences and they inspire others and the lessons learned and you know mm -hmm. we we want that information back that's a that becomes a national resource yeah <laughs> you know so yeah there's nothing like it as a really good good example yeah I, I mean, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait till someone lands. Someone's going to do it. I want to hear their story. Someone's <laughs> going to do it, right? And, so. and ISS will help get them there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So what's what's one of your, um, one, of, one of their top investigations going on the International Space Station, either right now or in the past, something that you just think that really stands out. And it, it could be a part of the human body, but but anything that's that's really just, you know, really stuck with you or, or you always go back to or refer to. Man, I it's a I hard think, one. It's loaded. Yeah, I yeah. You know, I'm gonna try to get off the human research one and <laughs> talk about um, AMS, the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. And oh right. I am not an astrophysicist, but uh, again, it's searching for you know these cosmic particles, this dark matter, this dark energy. I think I read at some point that you know everything that we perceive is only five percent visibly 
5% of what's really actually out there. So if we're only seeing what's 5% of what's really out there. Can't even think. I what is cannot, in front of me right now right. <laughs> that we can't see? And so um, I know it's more complicated than that. But right, right. philosophically, I think AMS speaks to me in terms of where did what are the origins of the universe? Where do we come from? Yeah. You know, and I think I think those are really the ultimate questions. Yeah. What, what is the origin of the universe? Where do we come from? Are we alone? You know, yeah. these these big these big questions. And we humans are designing big tools like AMS to try to find these quirky things. They're yeah. called quarks or neutralinos <laughs> or things that we think exists and we can replicate on earth we can create them on earth but do they how do they exist naturally and hmm. and then if they do exist that that proves some theory it helps prove theories of where we came from so that whole um very complicated designed instrument is all just an extension it's a tool that extends our human senses yeah. in a way that we can't do and so that just fascinates me <laughs> as an extension of us i just think <laughs> i think the international space station and ams you know all these things the fact that these exist the yeah. fact that they're yeah. they're actually up in space that we are actually doing them that we ask these questions and pursue them through technology things that we invent and and we come up with an idea in order to observe it mm -hmm. it just proves we are very curious beings we yes. really want to know what's going on and, and we capable. will do anything to and capable yeah. curious and capable very we good. will stop at nothing we will stop at nothing <laughs> not even budgets <laughs> oh my gosh it's just it's just a fascinating concept yeah, i'm really lucky to it. be working where i am now yeah. um, i would have never dreamt up this career for myself quite honestly mm -hmm. it's everything i've ever loved uh, i get to do every day yeah so it, i couldn't have created it <laughs> just really fascinated uh, uh, fascinating place to work yeah it really is it really yeah. is the things we have to think about all day are just it's just you know you think about space you think about you know what yeah. what, what can we do where are we going to go next how are we going to get there yeah how do we cool make question. the most out of what we have oh man i wish we could do a two hour long episode but tara <laughs> i'm sorry i think that's about all the time we have <sighs> uh so for the listeners stay tuned till after the uh the music here and learn about some of those those sites we're going to reiterate those sites that tara was talking about so you can go visit them especially if you're a researcher listening to this podcast and want to know where to send Submit your, your research and, and actually take it to space. Go to the International Space Station. It's very, very cool. And learn some of those benefits. Some of the ones we kind of skimmed over them because we, you know, we really do have a short amount of time. But, but if you really want to learn about them, just stay after. Yeah, for sure. So, Tara, thanks again so much for coming on the show. I feel like we have a good grasp of, I mean, we have a, <laughs> a place I, I wouldn't to start. say a good grasp, but like, yeah, at least a good place to start. An overarching knowledge of, of the, all the research going on aboard the space station. But, but it is very continuous. And, and thank you for coming I on. Hope I've inspired a couple of you out there. So <laughs> you inspired me, so, so I think it was worth it at least at that. Thank so you. thanks again. Uh, sure. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked about space station science with Dr. Tara Rutley. And uh, if you want to know what's going on aboard the space station right now, just go to nasa.gov ISS. But uh, we were talking mainly about space station science. If you want to go there, just go to nasa.gov ISS-science. That's actually where you can find all the research that's going on aboard right now. 
Uh, we also sort of alluded to some of the benefits that are going on on station that you can bring down right to Earth. So if you go to nasa.gov slash station benefits, that's the one where the, the experiments that we're doing aboard the International Space Station, the ones that actually, you know, help us out here on uh, here on the ground. And uh, we can also find a lot of the stuff on the spinoff magazine. Those are some... Um, those are some technologies that have been spinned off from NASA technology right here into our everyday lives. And it's really cool. I would definitely recommend checking it out. And so if you're a researcher or a student and you want to send some of your research aboard the International Space Station, uh, just go to your favorite uh, browser and just type in CASIS. That's C-A-S-I-S. Or you can go to www.iss-casis.org. Uh, one of those will take you to, to the organization that will actually help you get your research aboard the International Space Station. And it is really cool. You can get some really cool stuff uh, uh, when you send your uh, experiments aboard. We have students that do stuff like uh, one of the, my favorites is Spheres. Uh, they, they're actually tiny little robots that students can actually program controls, and then they actually fly around the in, inside of the space station. You can get some great imagery of your of your experiments there. Uh, so if you want to follow us on social media, uh, any of the International Space Station uh, sites will help you out. There's um, the International Space Station Facebook page. On Twitter, it's at space underscore station, and Instagram is at ISS. But we also have research accounts, too. Uh, just type in ISS research. I'm pretty sure they're verified on all of those uh, different platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea to the podcast. Maybe you have a question or maybe you have a, uh, an idea of an episode that we should do and make sure to mention it's for Houston We Have a Podcast. So uh, this podcast was recorded on June 21st. Thanks to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, Greg Wiseman, and Dan Hewitt for helping to set up. And of course, thanks to Dr. Tara Rutley for coming on the show today. We'll see you next week.